we have been talking about the Holy Spirit. I think this is either lesson four or five. Last week we had a lot of great discussion. So we have talked about over the past four to five weeks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the first things we talked about is that the Holy Spirit, many times we say, boy, didn't it, the Holy Spirit, move really good in the service. And one of the things that we talked about is the Holy Spirit, we should not refer to the Holy Spirit as it, but as he, it is the person, it's part of the personhood, the personality of God, of the Trinity, a member of that. And so uh, we talked a little bit about that. We spent a couple weeks talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how that each one of us can, if we're saved, filled with God's Spirit, then we can uh, have those gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're for everyone. That's what the Bible says. Everyone that obviously is saved. And so the Holy Spirit can live through us. And, and those gifts are for the body of Christ, for the benefit and the edification of the body. Uh, so tonight, I just want to go into two things that is important that are workings of the Holy Spirit that we might not necessarily think of immediately. I mean, we talked about how the Holy Spirit teaches us, how the Holy Spirit convicts us, draws sinners. We've talked about all kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does. But I want to talk about the Spirit and how the Spirit is involved in our knowing that we are saved and how the Spirit is involved in the sanctification process of a child of God. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. So if I was to ask you, how do you know that you have been saved? How do you know it? There's, the Bible tells us. Bible tells us. So there's a what an intellectual knowledge based upon the scriptures that says that if we do these things and accept Christ, confess and believe and all those things which are spelled out in the Bible that we're saved. And that is based on, upon faith. So the first way that we know that we are saved is an intellectual understanding. Now that intellectual understanding goes past just say these words and do this thing and you're saved. As Bill said, it's by faith. And what's really happening if you kind of take a step back and look is that there is a spiritual exchange that happens when we get saved. When we repent of our sins and we ask God to come into our life and to be our Savior and to be our Lord, there is a spiritual exchange that happens. We, the Bible talks about we go from life to death. Uh, we become children of God. That we're baptized into the body of Christ. All these things that tell us, uh, they give us an intellectual understanding of something that has happened in the spirit realm. We have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And, and so it's much more than rehearse this prayer, 
say this thing, act like this, come to church and be a good boy or a good girl. There is actually a spiritual exchange and a change that has happened in our lives. Uh, so that's one of the things the Bible literally tells us that old things are passed away and we have become new. As a matter of fact, who is Second Corinthians 5.17? If you would read that. 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Okay. So it's much more than I just repented and I got rid of my guilt. So we need to understand. Now, we're going to go into how is the Spirit involved in this. In, in a little bit, but I want us to understand so that there, there are two reasons, two ways that you know you're saved. You have an intellectual, spiritual understanding of what has happened. Your life has been changed. You are not just remodeled. You are a new creature in Christ. So we, we know that, and the Bible affirms that, so the Bible tells us that. So we intellectually know that we have been saved, and it's important that we know that. Because let me tell you this, there are some days that you don't feel like a new creation. And there are some days that you don't feel like old things have passed away. And there are some days you don't feel like everything has been made new. So our salvation is not based upon how we feel. But can I tell you that there is the Holy Spirit becomes involved at a point in, in, our, in our relationship with the Lord. Um, the Holy Spirit can help us understand that we are saved. Who has Romans 8, 16? The Spirit himself bears witness without Spirit that we are children of God. So this is telling us that here, so here's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty blunt when people come forward to get saved. I really am. I say, this is what you need to do and, and pray this prayer with me, but you really got to believe it in your heart and you got to have faith. And then many times I tell people, when you walk out this door, the devil's going to jump on your shoulder and tell you you're not saved. And you're going to feel not saved. It's the truth. Is it not the truth? We should tell people the truth. Because if it didn't happen to you, it happened to me. I didn't feel like anything changed. But because it's not based solely on my intellectual knowledge or my feelings, then the Holy Spirit steps in and he does what? What does the scripture tell us? He bears witness with us. In other words, there's something internal that well, the Holy Spirit inside of us says, I'm in you. I'm with you. I'm for you. You are saved. You are a new creature. And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and lead us and guide us and do all those things that we talked about. But there is, how many knows that sometimes you just need the Holy Spirit to tell you, you are right. You're good with the Lord. You, because there's days. Are there, not, are there not days that you just get up on the wrong side of the bed and you just don't feel very saved? 
And sometimes there's days where, let's be honest, where we maybe we do something that we don't feel safe because maybe we committed a sin. Yeah, how many of those Christians can can commit sins? Right? So I'm talking from preaching the choir here. None of you are, have made it all the way where you never sin, right? <laughs> so we need that confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to not only you guys, but recognize that there are people who might be listening that don't know the Lord as their Savior. And if they receive Christ, and I've had so many people tell me, well, I really tried. And I tell them, that's the problem. It's not based on how hard you try to be saved. There is a spiritual transformation that takes place and a witness of the Holy Spirit that lets us know that we are God's and He is ours. So, And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. You don't hear people talk about this very often, but it's very important for us to understand. It is regardless of how you feel, the Holy Spirit can be a witness inside of you that says you're a child of God. What's uh, 1 John 3.24 say? Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So how do we know that God abides in us? By his Spirit that he has given to us. I'm going to call this an internal witness. How many knows the Spirit of God, when you got saved, came into your life and lives inside of you? And so you have an internal witness whenever the enemy, the devil, is trying to say, man, you messed up. I knew you weren't really saved. I told you the day you did that, that you weren't saved. But the Holy Spirit comes along with an internal witness to tell you the opposite. So as the internal witness that we're children of God, that we're Christians. So in some, and I don't know how the Spirit does this with each one, but in some unexplainable way, the Spirit of God will communicate with our spirit. Let me know that we have a spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. It is the spirit man that gets transformed. And our spirit and the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit communicates to our spirit to let us know that we have truly been changed and saved. So this communication is going on. Ephesians 2.18 tells us that it's by the Spirit of God that we have access to the Father. In other words, it's the Spirit of God that tells us that there's no barrier in the relationship between you and the Lord. That same spirit, lest we get confused, also tells us you shouldn't have done that that way. You should repent. You should go and make things right with your neighbor. You should do the, you know, this, so not only is the Holy Spirit directing your life and helping you live in a holy way, but also saying, just because you messed up, it doesn't mean you're no longer a child of God. I think the best thing that we can do, the best thing that we can teach a new Christian or any, just anyone who's a Christian is to say, when you, make, when you make a mistake, when you sin, when you come short, just confess it to the Lord right then and there. 
Don't wait. Don't let guilt be stacked upon you. Don't let condemnation from the enemy come against you, but just confess it and go on. And so that is a part of the working of the Holy Spirit uh, at salvation. So one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. And the Holy Spirit, as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the Comforter in John 15, 27, it says the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, has come from the Father and he bears witness of Christ. So if you have Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit is, is a witness of that. And so that, that's important for us to understand. Now, I'm going to move on to sanctification because that's a big topic. How many have heard the word sanctification? Did you know that it is the Holy Spirit and, and what I will call one of the most important works of the Holy Spirit is this process, and it is a process, of sanctification. We're going to talk about sanctification a little bit, but just to make sure that we know that this is a principle in the Bible. So let's first find out that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. So what does 1 Corinthians 6 11 say? And such for some of you that ye are washed, that ye are sanctified, that ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So what's that word in the center? You are sanctified. And the last four or five words is by the Spirit of our God. So sanctification comes through the Holy Spirit. But what comes before this is a whole list of sins and things that people were involved in. Like drunkenness and all, all kinds of things. That's, that's a, it's a list. It says you were like this, but now you're washed, cleansed, and sanctified. Aren't you glad for the change? I used to be something that I'm not now. And so we see that the Holy Spirit uh, is involved in this change. What about 1 Peter 1, 2, and 3? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again in a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay. So that, that involves the, the sanctification process. Uh, there is a scripture I need to find where it's from. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So that scripture does talk about sanctification, but and it might just be the particular version. This is New King James. Yeah. The scriptures tell us that sanctification is the will of God. So here's a process of sanctification. But what does sanctification mean? Open question. What does sanctification mean? Just give me, it, it, right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Just tell me what you think of when you first hear the word sanctification. A process of becoming holier, she said. I, I think of the word forgiven. Forgiven? Okay. Process of growing in God, like that, becoming holier. 
I like that. That's some good old down-to-earth words right there. To clean it up your act. It is a progressive work, but we're going to talk about it's two kinds of works in our life. But the word that is the primary word in sanctification is separation. Separation. That's one of the key words in describing sanctification. Now, what this does not mean, so hear me very well, it does not mean that you're never to talk to a non-Christian again. It does not mean that. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? How would we ever witness? How would we ever live in this world and be separated and not talk to them? I think people got a misconception when they take sin from other people, rub off on them. Right. Yeah, it doesn't have to. <laughs> there are some people that maybe we shouldn't be around that would influence us negatively and others might not. But you're right. Sin is not necessarily contagious. It's not going to rub off on us just because we've been around someone. So there's this concept of separation. Separate from all that is unholy. It's not separate from people, but from what would be unholy for us. And some other words are dedicated, consecrated, committed to the Lord. So it's a process of being, and I may have this later in my teaching, I can't remember. We are sanctified from, and we are sanctified to. We are sanctified from the unholy life that we used to live. Remember that first scripture that we read? You used to be this, but now you're not. You're this, and you're sanctified, and you're changed, and you're all these different things. So, and the Holy Spirit is a part of this process. That's why we're talking about it. The Holy Spirit is actually what helps us in this process of sanctification, of being changed. But not are we sanctified from an unholy world and unholy actions, we are sanctified or separated to God. And that's what this whole word separation is about. We're separated and set apart for God. God wants you. God designed you a certain way. God needs you in his kingdom, even though he could have done it all by himself, but he, he designed that we be used in the kingdom of God. How many know that? Because I really believe sometimes people just think, well, I got saved and I'm done. But that's not that's not, not what God's called us to do, right? So we're separated from the world. And when I say the world, I'm not talking about the people necessarily in the world, but the world system and the system of sin and the system of Satan. And we're separated to God. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps in this process kind of interesting because the concept of sanctification is almost like getting papers to another country because it's basically like the fact that we then become heirs and we become members of heaven you know yes. members of god's people citizens and so it separates us and then we operate completely differently in that way good that's when we come into the kingdom but there's also this process that we become more and more like citizens of the kingdom and not citizens of the world that's what the sanctification process is, is doing inside of us. So there's some misconceptions about sanctification. Anytime there's a principle in the Word of God, there's going to be some people 
who think incorrectly about sanctification. Anything in the Bible, if it's a principle, people are going to sometimes miss it because we're people, right? So the mo one of the most common misconceptions about sanctification, and it's a term that you've probably all heard before, is legalism. And what it is, is a belief that a person can only be sanctified by living in complete obedience to the law. In other words, forget grace. Oh, sure, grace is involved, but, but you've got to do all the commandments. You've got to obey the law as if you were Jewish, okay? And, and, and Judaism. So there's a term, that term is legalism, and it tells us in order to be saved and to remain saved, that it all depends on work. How I many knows that's not right? Right? Aren't you glad it's not based on works? Because if it was, we'd all fail. No one can keep the law. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law so we didn't have to stay in the law and we can go on to the new covenant. He came to fulfill that. In legalism, you'll recognize, I'm going to call them movements and not denominations. Some movements... All it is is a long list of do's and don'ts. And that's not really what the Bible and the New Testament is about. So legalism is that you have to do all these things and don't do all these things. And the problem with that, with obeying the law, is that it's impossible. It's clearly, the Bible tells us, it's impossible for man to obey the law. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, which Paul quotes in Galatians 3.10, says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the book of the law. And if you begin to do the law and you miss some of it, you're cursed. Wow, I don't want to be a part of that. I want the grace and the mercy of God. I want... And again, we're going to get into that doesn't mean we can live anyway. We want to, but it's not legalism either. Legalism is very binding. What does the word tell us? We've been set free. Those who are in Christ Jesus have been set free. Whom the Son is set free is free indeed. This is a system that binds people. Verse 3 of Galatians, uh, it says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, here it is, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So in other words, uh, Paul is saying, I preached to you, and you got saved by the Spirit. He drew you. He convicted you of your sins. You gave your life to Christ. You started walking in the Spirit. How many knows this term in the Bible? Walking in the Spirit. But now he's saying, are you so dumb, so foolish, that now you think that, oh, I've gotten saved, so now I need to be following the law instead of God's plan of mercy and grace and you know all, all of that. That doesn't mean we can sin and, and should sin all the time. Uh, but it means that we are living by faith, by grace through faith. 
not by works. I think it's interesting if we look at Hebrews 11.6. It says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone right. who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists, and He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Right, right. So that's another reference to the fact that we can. We can't do, we can't do it. <laughs> can't do it without the Spirit of God, too, because it's the Spirit that helps us to live that life. I'm going to say something. You might want to write it down because I want to just say it. Sometimes it may not make sense to you. True faith will produce genuine works, not the opposite. What do I mean by that? True faith will produce genuine works. Genuine works don't produce faith, which you are only saved by grace through what? Through faith. So it requires faith, which God gives to us. Then we're called to good works, but we're not saved by good works. So what's the opposite of legalism? You don't have to know the term, but what, what, what would it look like? If I am totally opposite of legalism, what am I? Crooked. You're really? Illegal, yeah. Uh, crooked. In other words, I think, what? Kev, did you have? Liberal. Liberal. I view life as once I have gotten saved, I don't have to live any particular way or do anything, I'm saved. So that it, it's a teaching that says, no matter what, once I've been saved, I can live however I want to. And we know that's incorrect as well, right? So you've got two ends of the spectrum. By the way, not that you need to know this word, but it is on your questions. Antinomianism, that's a long word. A-N-T-I. N-O-M-I-A-N-I-S-M. All you really need to know is that it's opposite of legalism. The person who believes this way says, I've been set free by Christ, therefore I can live any way I want to. But we know that it's against the scripture, right? We know that Paul says, you really can't live any way you want to because if you do that, what are you going to do to somebody who is a new Christian or someone who is as strong as you in the faith. Stumbling block. You'll be a stumbling block. You're going to take them down. And they're going to be lost because you've just decided to live however you want to. Right? Uh, Galatians 5.13 says, Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So we are to love and serve one another. Not just say, Oh, I've been saved. Too bad about you. I'm going to live however I want to. That's pretty much what this kind of living is Didn't about. Didn't Paul say something about um, all things are okay for me, but not all things are beneficial? Yes. Basically. Yeah. So, like, I can do anything I want, but it's not going to help me. But it's not really going <laughs> to do me any good or do anyone else anything, right? Back to sanctification. Because those are ways that people believe. Sanctification, because this is going to be a little bit different than some things you have heard. Sanctification is both an instantaneous experience as well as a progressive experience. Because we mostly talk about sanctification being a progressive work, and it is. It is also, in some ways, an instantaneous experience. How can it be both? 
That's what we're asking. How can sanctification, becoming more holy, getting our act together, how can it be both instantaneous and a continuous or progressive work? Well, you can't put a grown-up head on a little baby. You know, kind of learn taking the steps and as they right. go. So there's a pro a growth process. They they, they got you got to grow into the Christian law, right? The other kind thing is, is as long as we live on Earth, we're going to continue to get dirty. The Bible talks about it in both ways. But it's very specific that the there is an instantaneous sanctification when it comes to salvation. Okay, so let me be be, be clear. Uh, at the point of salvation, we are set apart or separated unto God. We're His. That's the part where you will not ever be any more saved. Than you are right here. Exactly. That's it. That's not going to change. You're saved. You're saved. Yeah. And instantaneous. Yeah. You are saved. You are set apart to Christ. You are His. He is your all of that. So this is a both instantaneous but a continuous process. So uh, at that point, Linda, I'm a baby, but I'm a baby child of God. Right? I'm, I'm a baby in Christ, but I'm a baby child of God. I'm still saved. Like that, you said you become a new creature. Yep. You become brand new, not reconstituted, not refurbished, not redesigned, but brand new. So instantaneous, but yet there is a part of this that is a continuous or Continuous, I guess you could say, work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. I like this old saying. I'm not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Not where I need to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. And that kind of explains a little bit, gives us a concept inside of that term called sanctification. How many knows when you have a child, they're your child? There never be more your child, as Betty said, than at that point. But thank goodness that child doesn't stay a baby and have to be fed a bottle, have to have their diaper changed, have to have you clothe them, have to so instantaneously that's your son or daughter. But there is a progressive and continuous work that is happening, and it is, and this is the reason why I want to go into this tonight. It's the Spirit of God that does this. We can't work hard and change ourselves. It doesn't happen that way. It's by the Spirit. Now, we have a part in this work, so don't just sit back <laughs> and say, well, I'm not changing. What's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's not doing anything in me. Well, it requires cooperation, right? Uh, with the Holy Spirit as we uh, become sanctified. How many of you have read the scripture where the Bible says, God says, be ye perfect. Have you read that? How many thought, I'm lost. I can't do that. Be ye perfect. This is what it says. As I am perfect. Right, right. Be ye holy as I'm holy. 
also said in the Bible. So how does, how does this work? What does that word perfect mean? It does not mean what we think it means. It does not mean that we never sin. It does not mean that we never make a mistake. But what it does mean is that we are mature or whole. We should be growing and maturing in God. Never stay in one place with the Lord. We should always be growing. It almost feels convicting, doesn't it, to say it? Because you're either growing in the Lord or you're falling back. I don't think there's a way that we can stay in one place with the Lord. Not for very long, if we can. So we're either growing or falling back. I didn't say not saved, but I said growing or falling back. Okay? So there, here's this continuous work of the Holy Spirit in our life maturing us. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Okay? So grow in grace. Grow in grace. To grow in grace. Can I tell you as a pastor, I get very concerned for Christians who are content to stay right where they are and never change. I'm not saying they're not saved, but I'm concerned about their spiritual walk of faith if, if it doesn't appear. Now, I don't know what God's doing in your life. I, I don't know what God, how God's changing and growing you. But that process ought to look different than it was the day you got saved. Who is the agent that does that? It's the Holy Spirit through us. It's a powerful work of the Holy Spirit that we never talk about. We talk about sanctification. And everybody goes, yeah, you, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. Well, that's not really what it's about. It's about the Holy Spirit maturing us and growing us. It's like a plant that if you don't nurture it, water it, and take care of it, there's no beautiful thing to look at. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in no fruit, there's no right. flowering, there's no... Without the Holy Spirit there, us yielding to Him right. to grow, then we're right. not going to produce any fruit. And we yeah. all grow differently. We do. And our plants that sometimes you plant, you put the seed in the ground, and it's not going to produce anything. Right, and some just, for a couple of years. yeah, and some come up right, right. five, six days. So that's what yeah. they, they measure themselves by somebody else. Right, and you can't do that. That's a good point. And we can't, we can't look at somebody else and say, why aren't they doing more? Because there may be a deep planted seed that just hasn't fully come forth. I, I like there's a story in the Bible, and you may remember this story. It talks about a man who owns a, I think it's an orchard. And he's the owner, and he has a gardener. And the man had come two or three years in a row. I mean, remember the story. I'm starting to tell him. And he comes to this one tree, and he says, Man, I've come to this tree, this garden. Two, three years, however long he says that he's come to it, and there's still no fruit. There's no change. Now that's, if you just look at that part of it, it's not a great story. But what does the gardener say? 
We actually tell them to cut it down, if I remember. Yeah, he said, hey, get rid of it. It's wasting space. Using up good, fertile ground and not producing anything. Well, that ought to convict us because we need to be producing for the Lord, right? Uh, but what does the gardener say? And I, can I liken the gardener to the Holy Spirit? Give me one more year. One more year. An intentional year of doing things to make that tree become productive and fruitful and producing things like it's never done before. The gardener, in my opinion, is like the Holy Spirit. And what does the gardener say? The gardener says, I'm going to dig around it. I liken that to our hardened hearts. Sometimes we're not receptive to the Holy Spirit doing things in our life. I've done it this way for hundred years, bless God. I'm not going to change. And we're like that tree that's just stuck in the hard dirt. And, and bless God, we won't change if we don't allow the Holy Spirit, right, to do it. And so he says, I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to loosen up the soil. Here's the part we don't really like. And I'm going to put some dung around it. And I'm going to water it. Intentional. I, I gotta be careful how I say this. Sometimes God allows really crappy situations in our life. Can I just try to be right? He does. And he allows it not for our bad, but for our good. And so that we grow and we mature, and we have to depend on God and not just stuck in our zone and not really doing anything for the Lord. That was as nicely as I could put that, right? Uh, <laughs> and so God, thank God, the Holy Spirit works in us to produce fruit. And we want to produce fruit. And back to the verse that Jason quoted a few minutes ago, without faith it's impossible to please God. I believe when we have faith and we begin to try to please God, then we're going to change. Faith says, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to keep going, right? Uh, so, anyway. Good. I read a quote the other day that said, um, some of your greatest ministry comes from your greatest misery. That's very true. There, is, there was something on Facebook not too long ago, and I, and I, I thought it was very true. But there's also a little bit of a spiritual application to it. And there was a man who said, my father drove, I think he said a horse and buggy. I drive a Cadillac. My son will drive a Porsche. His son will drive a bicycle. I thought this thing was progressing. What happened? Well, Good times or bad times produce produce good times. But good times produce weak men. That's what this thing's saying. And weak men produce bad times. So that's why you see this progression when it's good, but then when they begin to become weak, if sanctification is a process that grows us up and matures us. You don't plant, Betty alluded to this, you don't plant a tree and expect to get a pear off of it 
the next year. It's not going to happen. It, that tree's not going to produce that fast. So uh, we have to grow and mature and become like the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. Here's the good news. Even Paul said, I'm not perfect. I'm not totally mature yet, but I'm pressing towards that goal. Pressing towards it. I'm growing in grace. I'm becoming more like Christ. You could put that in there. Press on to the goal that I may know him in the powers of resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You don't grow with just fellowship. You grow with sufferings as well. Understanding the Lord and his sufferings as well as his, uh, the good things. Uh, being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain. I want us to see something in the scripture. Turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14, and I'll read it. And I want you to see something, because to this point, we have mostly talked about what the Holy Spirit does in the sanctification process. But what are you doing in the sanctification process? How are you responding to the Holy Spirit is another way to say that. So Philippians 3, 10 through 14 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What's that? That's this maturing process and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means, if you highlight your Bible, you can highlight, I may attain. So Paul is saying there's some onus on me to attain things in the Lord and to become more mature and to become more like him and to produce fruit. That I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained. I'm not perfect. But I do what? Press on. I press on. I don't sit down. I don't quit. I don't say, well, bless God, I'm saved. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come. That's not what sanctification is about. He said, I press on. That I may lay hold. There's some action in that, right? I want to be sanctified by the Lord. I want to become more like Him. I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid a hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended but one thing. What does it say? I do. I don't stop. I don't quit. I don't say, here I am, Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do anything. You do whatever you can. Move me if you can. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? <laughs> uh, he said, no, that's not what he said. I do one thing I do. Forgetting. How many knows that forgetting is a part of the process of maturing and growing up and being sanctified? What do you need to forget? Things that are behind you. The things that are behind you. The things that could, if you allowed them, would keep you back there when you need to grow. I forget. Wow, who would think of forgetting as a part of the process of growing up? I must be really growing up because I've been forgetting a lot lately. <laughs> I don't think that's what it means. Um, but I'm forgetting those things which are behind. And what do I do? I reach forward. There's some action on my part in this process of maturing. If you want more of the Lord, press. Lay hold of. 
do something to become more like Lord and the Lord and to gain more from the Lord. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press. I press. For the last 15 weeks now, I've been going to the gym and it was rough at the start. Still rough some days. But there are things called shoulder press, bench press, leg press, calf press. What am I doing? Strengthening, maturing, growing muscles. That's a part of the sanctification process. The sanctification process, here's, here's what it is not. It is not becoming like a monk and separating yourself totally from everyone else and, and, and just humming and, and uh, meditating on the Lord. That is not the sanctification process. Are there times that you need to get along with the Lord and you need to concentrate on Him and you need to meditate? Yes, that is not the whole process of sanctification. God puts people in your life to help in this sanctification process. Some people make you grow up more than others. Some people <laughs> are hard to deal with in life. And they mature us and they grow us. But not just hard to deal with people. Sometimes people just challenge us. Let's do more. Let's do more for the kingdom. We need people to challenge us in our Christian walk. I got some pastor friends who challenge me. And I call them and I talk to them and I ask them how their church is doing. And they're asking me how our church is doing. Well, what are you doing now? What, what spiritual disciplines have you uh, been working on in your life? And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's help mature one another. Let's work in this sanctification process. So I'm pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ. Wow, that's too much. Sanctification is something we work in. We participate in it is not a but it is not a do-it-yourself project we have to incorporate the Holy Spirit so here's how we do it as we mature spiritually Christians mature spiritually only as they yield increasingly to the Holy Spirit that's in your questions so you mature as you yield to the Holy Spirit and allow him to work through you but you're not lazy about the process you're doing and working and trying to become more like the Lord. So in our life, we are to experience a continuing transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I mean, remember hearing that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living a sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. That transformation process is what the sanctification is all about. A change, a growth, a maturity. It comes by the working of the Holy Spirit. We're being transformed. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. By the Spirit of the Lord. Growing from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. How many want to be better Christians? Than you are more sanctified. The important measure of one's sanctification is not perfection, not like we look at it, but progress towards the goal. 
So am I growing? Am I seeing changes? Not am I perfect. Paul's about to die. He's in prison when he said, I've not yet attained, but I keep pressing. I keep holding on. I keep doing all these things because I want to know the Lord in a greater way. Question number one. What are two ways that you can know that you're saved? Natural understanding. A natural understanding or knowledge that there's been a spiritual change. Number two, the Holy Spirit witnesses to us of that. The basic idea, question number two, of sanctification is what? Separation. There's two misconceptions about sanctification. Uh, the last one you probably don't even know how to spell. I wouldn't have either until I studied this. Uh, legalism is about a person who believes that you have to live in complete obedience to the law and you're bound by that. Number two is antinomianism. It just means the opposite of legalism. That people who believe this way think that they can live in any way that however they want. Question four. Describe how the Bible refers to sanctification as both an instantaneous and a continuous experience. Let me give that to you. When it comes to salvation, we are instantaneously saved and a part of the body of Christ. But when it comes to being new creatures, we must grow in Christ. Something like that. How are you explaining it in your own words? Question five, describe the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the individual in the process of sanctification. How does it work? We participate. We do what we can, but it's only through the Holy Spirit that we can become sanctified and matured in the process. Question six, fill in the blank. Christians mature, what, spiritually? Only as they yield increasingly to the Holy Spirit. So that's a part of that process. Question number seven. The important measure of one's sanctification is not perfection, but progress towards the goal. 